Please go ahead and be turning in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans 4. It will be a while before we get there, but if you could be turning to Romans 4, that would be great. In the meantime, I would like to, as I did last week, welcome everybody to your Sunday morning 1020 appointment with the great physician, the great King of Kings and the great Lord of Lords, your great and loving Heavenly Father, your Creator, your Redeemer, and your friend. Let us never forget that that's what this appointment we have on Sundays is all about. That is what we are here for. Nearly 3,000 years ago, King Solomon wrote the following words in Ecclesiastes 1, 9, and 10. He said, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which it may be said, See, this is new? It's already been in ancient times before us. Again, King Solomon's wisdom from Ecclesiastes 1, 9, and 10. And how true that is. Take, for example, a few of our so-called new modern-day household words, phrases, and modes of communication. We talk about things today like they're new. And yet... They're not as new as we might think they are, especially when it comes to some of our electronic modes of communication. We talk first about texting. The fact is that God was sending His people text messages thousands of years ago. In fact, we have the world's longest text message right here in the sacred text. The sacred text message that we hold in our hands from Genesis to Revelation was started by Moses, finished by the Apostle John, took about 1,500 years to write. Now that's a long text. But even though it took all those years and all those men to write as they wrote the divinely inspired words of God, there's not one mistake there's not one thing that is abbreviated that we need to know. It is perfect in its every jot, tittle, and infinitely tiny and intimate detail. And we like to think today as we watch commercials on TV or maybe go to the electronic store that tablets are a new innovation, but you know what? <laughs> God, uh, God was sending message, messages via tablets more than 3,000 years ago. Remember Moses when he went up on the mountain? What happened? God communicated on tablets. That's right. Exodus chapter 31, verses 18, all the way through chapter 34 and verse 29. And now, there's a new show coming on this fall. A new show with a supposedly new idea. We've seen the trailer for it a couple of times, the commercials for it. And the promo for it goes like this. What would you do if you received a friend request from God? That's the basis of a new show airing this fall called God Friended Me. And as I looked at this foolish thing, sorry, as I looked at this thing, <laughs> 
It's about this guy that supposedly grew up in church, but he's an atheist. His father's a reverend or something or other. And it's just this whole convoluted idea that he gets this, this text message from God or this, this I'm not real tech savvy. He gets this request from God. And the title is God Friended Me. But you know, that's not a new idea. The fact is that in this beautiful, priceless, precious text that we got from God right here from Genesis to Revelation, God has requested that we all be his friends. In fact, in that truth firmly embedded within this text from God, there's a very beautiful series of people, or few people, who are called God's friend, or we see as friends of God. So the question this morning is, how does one biblically accept God's friend request, if I can put it in those terms. Let's take a look at God's friends list and see. I'm not going to turn there, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7, it tells us that Abraham was on God's friend list. I don't know if he's God's BFF, but that text says he is his FF because it says that he was his friend forever, or will be his friend forever. In 2 Chronicles 20, in verse 7, it says that of Abraham. Hopefully you're open to Romans chapter 4, because I want to ask us, what made Abraham such a friend of God? What made him God's friend forever? How did Abraham accept God's friend request according to the text? Well, he did it this way. He did it by believing, trusting, and obeying God no matter what. That's how Abraham did it. It says in verses 18 and following, it speaks of Abraham who, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. That is how we become, as Abraham did, a friend of God. We trust God. We take God at his word. And because we trust him, we obey him. Because we believe that God is who he claims to be, we go and do what he has told us to do. What made Abraham a friend of God? In addition, he understood that faith alone was not enough. Abraham understood that if you're going to be a true friend of God's, that you couldn't just say, I believe, but you had to do something with what you believed. You had to take action on that which you believed about God. Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2, would you please? In James chapter 2, beginning at verse 17, it reads as follows. Let's 
Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called, did you see the text? And he was called the friend of God. We see it again. We see Abraham on God's friend list if we can put it that way. Because Abraham understood that if you truly believe God and you truly trust God, then you're going to act in a way that reveals that trust and faith in God. If God says, go here and do this, and this is what's going to happen, then you go here and you do this because you trust that God will make that happen. That's what makes a person a true friend of God, according to the Bible. What made Abraham a friend of God, and how did he accept God's friend request, if I can use today's technology, today's terms? By understanding that you could not be friends with God and at the same time be coveting and pursuing the things of the world. James 4 and verse 4. Also, want to note here, we've probably all heard the phrase, it's nice to have friends in high places. Unfortunately, you probably heard the song that goes the other direction, but we'll stick with the high places, right? It's good to have friends in high places. And one of the beautiful things about being a friend to God, by accepting his friend request, as it were, being his friend, by doing those things we've talked about from the book of Romans and the book of James, what an awesome and wonderful and powerful thing it is to be a friend of God who is in the highest place and to have him as our friend. Turn to me to Isaiah chapter 41. Check this out. Isaiah 41. We'll see Abraham's name come up again as a friend of God. Isaiah 41. Verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They'll be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You'll seek them and not find them, those who contended with you. Those who war against you shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. What a wonderful thing to be a descendant of Abraham, the friend of God, and to have God as your God. 
Well, you know that the Bible would tell us that all of us are spiritual descendants of Abraham who have the faith of Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 verses 13 through 25 as well as Galatians 3 26 through 29 says this applies to all of those who are of the faith of Abraham. They are his spiritual offspring. You know we could take a look at Moses. We would note that Moses is also listed in the scripture in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11 as being a friend of God. And we could certainly go through Moses' life and take the time to do that. And we would see that Moses, again if I can use our modern tech, technological language, Moses accepted God's friend request in much the same way that Abraham had. By believing and trusting and obeying what God said no matter what. Isn't that what Moses did? Trusted God. He's called God's friend. Moses also understood that faith alone, just saying I believe God, just saying I trust Him, not enough. I got to do what He says. Moses understood that faith alone was not enough to please God, nor is just faith only without works going to be something that makes you friends with God. Moses also understood that he couldn't be friends with God while selfishly coveting and pursuing the things of the world at the same time. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 through 29. And so we would see that both of these friends of God understood what it took to be a friend of God. And their lives were very similar in those ways that we have mentioned. But you know what? Being a friend of God today consists of those same elements. It's the same thing. That's how we become a friend of God, as it were. Turn to me in your Bibles to John 15. See what Jesus had to say about it in John 15. If you listen closely, you'll see those same things reflected once again. John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, see, there's that trust and obedience again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The requirements for being a friend to God or to Christ have not changed. He says in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I want you to consider with me for a moment from those verses, the things that are necessary to accept God's friend request, or to be a friend of God. Number one, we must be willing to love God enough to keep and obey His commandments. Verses 9, 
10 and 14. Number two, we must love one another enough that we would lay down our life for the brethren, even those who may not think too highly of us. Verses 12, 13, and 17. We must, if we would be a friend of God, if we would be on his friends list, as it were, if we would truly accept that and become his friend, we must know his word and what it says. Look at verse 15. We must know what his word says. We must know it. And finally, if we would be a friend to God, we must be continually bearing good and lasting fruit. Verse 16. We see all of those elements in John 15, 9 through 15, as Jesus explained what it took to be his friends. It's special, it's powerful, it's incredible, it's awesome, it's wonderful. It's beyond our imagination to be a friend of God. But I've got to tell you something. God's gone way beyond that. God doesn't just want you to be his friend. This is the beauty. As we look at these guys and what they did, and, and we see that special relationship, and we, we read in Isaiah about how wonderful it is to, to have God as a friend, to be one of those spiritual descendants of Abraham who's called a friend of God over and over, and we look at the power in that. You know what? Compared to what God wants, that's child's play. That's the warm-up. God wants to be far more than just your friend. And this is the beauty of the New Testament. This is awesome. God's original text message, the Bible, contains something far more wonderful of a gift than just a friend request. His text message contains, you ready for this? Here's what God's text message brings. It contains a personal invitation of adoption for you to become a family member of Almighty God. Isn't God awesome? God does not simply want you to be his friend like Moses or Abraham, even as special as that was, but he wants you to become a full-fledged Member adopted into his family. I want you to look at this. This has been in God's phenomenal text message since the very beginning of time. Turn to me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This has been the plan. God doesn't want you to just be a, a friend, which is awesome in itself, that he communicates with now and then. Who knows what he wants, like some friend in a far-off place. God wants you in his house. He wants you as his family. And he always has. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, he's talking to those who are in Christ, notice in verse 1, the faithful in Christ Jesus in Ephesus, 
He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Watch this now. Just as He chose us in Him, if you choose to get into Christ, all of those that are in Christ are chosen, but you've got to choose whether or not to get in there. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace God said I, I want you so much this is my adoption invitation I am willing to take you no matter where you've been what you've done no matter how dirty with sin you are and by my grace and my power to cleanse, I want to clean you up and I want to bring you into my family and I want to have that relationship with you forever and ever and ever and ever in my house. I want you to be my child. This has always been the plan. So when are we adopted as children of the living God? As it says there in verse 5, when does that happen? When we come to the point... That we believe Him enough, we believe His adoption invitation, we believe He's paid the price to come and get us. When we believe Him and trust Him enough to accept His grace and forgiveness, which is mentioned in verses 6 and 7. When we take God at His word, when God says, this is where I will clean you up and I will make you my child. When we say, I believe you God and I'm going to get cleaned up your way. When does all that happen? When, when does that transaction take place? When, when do we accept God's adoption offer? Turn to me to Galatians 3. Galatians 3, beginning at verse 26, tells us, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Boom. There it is. We become sons of God. We become adopted children of the Lord God Almighty when we trust Jesus Christ enough, verse 26, that we are willing to clothe ourselves with Christ by being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, by accepting His grace and mercy, by going through the cleaning up process so that we can be adopted into the family. And at that point, it's not about our ethnic heritage. It is not about our gender. It is not about any of those things, verse 26. At that point, we become part of the family. Verse 29, according to the promise. But the text doesn't stop there. I know the chapter does, but the text doesn't. He goes on to explain in chapter 4, first few verses, he says, Now I say that an heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When do we receive the adoption as sons? He's just told you in 3.26 and 7. I've just told you after we read 3.26 and 7. This whole thing is about the adoption process. And we know that Acts 2.38 tells us that, that we are to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and we shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we understand the Holy Spirit plays a role in this. Well, he goes on to talk about it right here in the next few verses, verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 4, where he says, And because you are sons, because you've undergone that adoption process, because you've been cleansed of your sins and by faith you put on Christ and you become part of the family, Galatians chapter 3, because of that... Because your sons, verse 6 of chapter 4, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. That was a plan from the start. God is so awesome. We could read from Paul's epistle to the Church of Christ in first century Rome. We could, we could read there how in Romans chapter 6 it goes through this same process and it talks about how we're buried with him in baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life. And it talks about when we were baptized, verses 1 through 4, and we were cleansed of all of our sins at that point as we see at the end of the chapter in verse 23 and it continues forward there in Romans and it gets to Romans chapter 8 in verse 1 where it says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ. Well how did they get into Christ? Romans 6, 3 and 4 when they were baptized into Christ is when they got in Christ these passages that we read here they've got to be in Christ, clothed with Christ, baptized into Christ that's where the forgiveness and the cleansing comes, and that is where the adoption takes place. I don't know what you've done in your life, but as you sit there in your pew this morning, just as I stand up here behind this pulpit, you know yourself better than anybody else. You know that you have done things that God did not approve of. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Keeping in mind, as I so often preach and will this week at Green Valley, just one sin, just one, is enough to keep you out of the presence of a sinless God. I want you to think, God did not come to earth to say to you, I know that you've done some awful things and I can't stand you in my sight, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer you a level of cleansing to where you can come and be a servant of mine. That's not what God said. God did not say, I'm going to come and offer you some level of cleansing because your sins are so disgusting, they're like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6, that, that I'll let you into heaven, but you can't live in the heavenly city. You're going to have to live in the servants' quarters down there like a leper. Oh, you can get up there and you don't have to go to hell, but I want you away from me. That's not what God said. You know what God said? God said, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. 
And I am offering you absolute, full, total, complete cleansing. I want you to be my child. And I am willing. And I have paid the price to clean you up enough to spend eternity in my house where there is no sin. Read Revelation 21 and 2. No sin, nothing, nothing, no problems will ever enter in. God said, I'll tell you what, I love you so much. Yeah, I want to be your friend, but I want you to be my child and I, I want to be your father. And I want to hold you and I want to comfort you. And I want that family relationship with you. You know, we might think of... Maybe you've heard a story here or there along the line. Maybe you know somebody personally. But, but picture this. Picture some rich businessman. And you might have heard of some in the years past who desperately, desperately wanted to adopt a child. And they desperately desire, he does, to adopt some starving tortured, maybe diseased, dying child from some disease-infested, starving-to-death, third-world foreign country. This kid doesn't have a hope of seeing the age of five living in those circumstances. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The kid has absolutely no chance of survival without getting out of that country. He can't live like that and live. He's going to die. And so this, this rich businessman leaves the comforts of home, leaves his offices and his, his car collection and all of those people that, that think so much of him and his office towers and all of that stuff. And he puts himself in danger and he gets on a plane and he lands where there's all kinds of hostility and this war going on and he lands in this war-torn country where you can catch all kinds of diseases and pestilence and there's famine and there's, there's death at every turn. And he lands. And he goes back into the, into the jungles and he goes to this place where there's these kids that are just dying. They're just laying everywhere. They're dying. He says, I want to adopt you and take you home. I want to make you well. I want you to come to America and live in my house. But in order for him to do that, the trip cost him the life of his own son. And he knew before he ever made the trip, that's what it was going to cost. That's what God did. Because he wants you to be his child. He paid the ultimate price in his very own blood to become, yes, your friend, but so much more, your father. If you're here this morning, go ahead, close your Bibles, I'll wait. I don't want to lose your attention. Hold on, Dale. Hold on. I don't want to lose your attention. I know that most of you in here have been baptized. I know most of you in here have accepted that offer. But there's a few that may not have. 
knowing what God did, knowing what it cost him to come to this sin-infested, sick, dying, desperate, lost-in-darkness world, knowing that he knew it would cost him his son before he ever made the trip, leaving the glories of home as it were. And he says, I offer you life. All I'm asking you to do is let me hold you, love you, hug you, clean you up, take you home with me. I'll give you life. I'll give you a life you can't even begin to imagine. You don't have to live in this squalor of sin anymore. How could you tell him no? Maybe you know somebody, because most of you are Christians, but maybe you know somebody who needs to hear this message. And if you do, get a CD copy. Get it to them. But I am begging you this morning. If you are not, at the very least, a friend of God headed toward accepting that adoption, if you've never accepted that adoption request, God can't do that for you. He's done everything else. Everything else. He wants to give you His fortune. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God wants you to be a co-heir with His Son, Jesus Christ. How can you tell Him no? If you're here this morning and you've never told Him yes, please come to the front and do so as we stand and as we sing.